Hey, are you ready to grow your business? You have checked out the number one resource for business leaders, entrepreneurs, startup founders, and managers. And we're going to teach you how to grow and scale your business with real actionable steps. There's no fluff in this podcast. It's just good advice. Check out this episode. If you're a first-time listener, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And if you enjoy this episode, leave us a five-star review. Today's episode is with John Streisauer, who's the owner of Kilos. It's the lightning-fast EV charging network that's getting created across the United States. It is the perfect grid-friendly, deployable, lightning-fast charging network that matches well with your Tesla or whatever battery-based car that you drive. Uh, I love talking to John today. There were so many insights on the process of just innovation and rolling out new technology. It's a great episode. You're going to love hearing John's perspective. Stay tuned. Here comes your good advice. Welcome back to another episode of the Good Advice Podcast. We're bringing you some good advice today. One of the things I really enjoy about the podcast is the conversation around innovation, technology, some of the stinking cool stuff that's happening in our world. And today is no different. We're actually sitting down with John Streisauer, who is the CEO and founder of Kilos. You can find out more at kilos.com. But you know, Tesla's in mainstream news right now. You're hearing a lot about Tesla, maybe Elon Musk. And more importantly, you maybe even have a Tesla car yourself or have dreamed of owning a Tesla car, but you've thought, how the heck do I charge this thing? Where do I go to charge this thing? More importantly, wouldn't it be awesome if no matter where I'm driving anywhere in the United States, no matter where I'm going, if there was a, a an easy way to have my car charged in a lightning fast method, that's exactly what Kilos is aiming to do. We're talking about it today. John, it's so great to have you on the podcast. Well, thank you. I really appreciate being here and uh, having an opportunity to have a chat with you. Now, I think it's fair to talk about Tesla because I think you are a Tesla owner, owner, correct? I am. I've been a Tesla owner now for nearly 10 years. I had an early serial number Model S after driving a Roadster before that. Um, thought that was a pretty cool experience. Got in the waiting queue, waited a year and a half with a $5,000 down payment to get my early model, early serial number Model S. Then I had a Model X, and now I have a Model Y. All of them have been early serial number uh, Teslas. So you were you were the Tesla owner before it was cool. <laughs> you know, now there's so much momentum yes. and excitement around Tesla. I guess it was about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, where their stock value just really exploded in price, really uh, gained a lot of value, and, and naturally it had a lot of value for a while already. Um, but it's got to be exciting, right, to be able to say, you know, you saw the opportunity there, you saw the value of the technology, and clearly, as an early adopter, it makes sense what you're doing now with Kilos. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I did see the value. And if I was smarter, I probably would have bought bought a lot more stock <laughs> earlier on. Well, I didn't buy uh, any. So you're at least a lot smarter than I am. <laughs> uh, you know, I, and I think that it's been wonderful to watch um, not only Tesla evolve over that time, but to watch what it's done to the global auto industry. And I think, you know, Elon, my hat is off to Elon because it has, you know, really been the catalyst to change the global auto industry 
which is going to have a long-term impact on, on climate, of course. John, tell us, I have some questions about this, but before we get into it, um, I, you know, I gave kind of my version of who you are and what you're doing. Give us just like a very brief crash course on what you're doing with kilos and more importantly, where you've come from to bring you to where you are today. Yeah. Well, so um, my background is in computer science, electrical engineering, network engineering, um, and 35-year serial entrepreneur um, in a bunch of different industries. So I've had an entrepreneurial career. It's been really fun building things in in different industry segments um, and being around really smart people that have taught me lots of different things. Um, and so that's that's been a really fun career. Um, and as I mentioned, 10 years ago, I started driving Teslas. And um, so I've experienced uh, the Tesla supercharger network all around the world. Um, I've, I've personally driven about 10% of the U.S. interstate system looking for charging infrastructure and where that would go. Um, and as an early stage engineering geek type person, um, I've really appreciated what Tesla has built and the supercharging network around that. But I also realized that now we're entering a, a point in time where we're expecting that not only in America, but globally, people are going to uh, start entering into this and it's going to become a mainstream experience. And that's what I see is where we're going to have real problems, because mm -hmm. I do not see that even if you own a Tesla, that that is a mainstream experience. And certainly for the 130 models of EVs coming into the market over the next year, in the US um, that are not gonna have access to the Tesla supercharger network. Um, this is not gonna be a good experience for people trying to take long long distance drives in their EVs. Well, I know, and it's it's a um, it's extreme dissuader of adoption. I guess, um, you know, I've had this conversation on Tesla or electric vehicles in general for as long as seven or eight years now of people saying, oh yeah, that sounds really cool. Especially when you get it, when you start talking about like the price of gas, which coincidentally is an important conversation right now, but people right. say, oh, well, you know, I've heard I can only drive it for a couple hours. I heard I get 300 miles total. I mean, all these different conversations. So I think you make a great point that they're even, even where it feels like electric vehicle usage is becoming more and more commonplace, there are these massive gaps where people think about, yeah, if I'm going to drive across the country, you know, you almost kind of feel like going, it's like, it's like if you had Google maps, but going back pre Google maps where you had like the actual map and you had to like, okay, I'm going to go up here and do this. It almost in some ways feels like you have to do that now with electric vehicles of just being cognizant of like, where would the charging station be? What would it, you know, how convenient would it be to get to how accessible it is? So it seems like you've really picked up on a great opportunity with kilos. Yeah, I have. Um, and, you know, I'm not alone. There's a lot of people that realize this needs to be done. Uh, the reason why we're in business is because we understand that this needs to be done. Uh, we want it to be done because uh, electrifying the, the transportation fleet is really important for global climate. So it's why we're doing it. But we also realize that the way it's being achieved right now is not the right way. Um, there's there's not enough infrastructure. It's not in the right places. It's not the right type of technology. It's not grid friendly. There's a whole bunch of things about what we're doing that uh, that that I think is really important in in how to solve this in a way that's going to really help satisfy mainstream EV adoption and users. Um, in this business, we've talked to obviously hundreds of people. And um, a fair number of people that have been Tesla owners that have said to us, hey, love my car, it was awesome. But you hear the word was in there. 
because they've flipped them back and they went and they bought a, you know, a, a Yukon or a Suburban or something because they didn't have the problem of, well, gee, I got, you know, 150 miles away and then I was at a juice. And then I found out that, you know, this is a 30 or 40 minute stop I need to make somewhere that doesn't have a restroom or a gas or doesn't have a, a restroom or a restaurant or a coffee shop. Or, I mean, so the, there's a lot of problems around charging even if you have a Tesla, which you can literally drive pretty much anywhere on the interstate system today around the world, but in America, for sure, you can drive pretty much anywhere on the interstate system in a Tesla, but you can't go too far astray from that interstate system. And you don't have spontaneity. You don't have the ability to just say, oh, I think we're going to take a little side trip off to craters of the moon, whatever, and yeah. 60 miles away. Kids are screaming in the back. They want to go there. Oh, no, can't stop over there. Yeah can't do that. So, yeah. I mean, and that's Tesla. I mean, a Tesla is an enormous advantage over all the other automakers. So, yeah. you know, this is a problem that needs solving. Yeah. And I think I was reading in your bio, you were, there was a mention of, you know, you being cognizant of, and here's, what's interesting is it's so funny to me how, um, like things that are so normalized, when you don't put like an entrepreneurial lens to it, you can really miss it. So like, for example, you know, when you go to your gas station, you mentioned, um, I mean, I can think about the gas station up the rope for me. If I want to get a slice of pizza, I can pop yeah. in and get that. I can go to the bathroom. I can get a cup yeah. of coffee. Um, all of these things that are so normal. We don't even, I, I, personally, I don't even have like an entrepreneurial lens for it. I just think like, yeah, of course, everyone has this. I think it's really valuable that you've taken that and applied it to the charging model of recognizing these things aren't normalized yet in the EV world. And it seems like there's a definite opportunity there. Absolutely. Um, not only an opportunity, but it's something that has to be done if we're going to expect right. mainstream adoption and satisfaction of mainstream adoption of EV. So, I mean, there are, I mean, again, my hat's off to Elon. Great job. You know, that supercharger network is what enabled Tesla to sell the cars that they have sold, which enabled Tesla to change the global auto industry. So, again, hats off. Great work. However, uh, you know, <laughs> it's not an experience that will scale. It just will not. The way it is now, it won't scale. And if you're if you're entering into the EV business, and um, you don't have Tesla's supercharger network, you have no chance because you're not going to be able to do anything. So I mean, it is the little things like, you know, right now if you go to a Tesla supercharger station anywhere in the country, you're going to get rained on or get snowed on or get hailed on when you get out of your car to to charge, and you know, just simple things, you know. But in fairness, the gas station industry's had 120 years. Right. to get 115,000 gas stations across the country, right? I mean, it's kind of weird, you know, as we're talking to people in the investment community about our business, it's kind of weird to think about it. 120 years ago, John D. Rockefeller was probably sitting around some tables with people figuring out where to <laughs> put gas stations, right? Right. Yeah. So, so do you like, I mean, as a serial entrepreneur, I get, I get the impression this isn't really about you, so to speak. I mean, obviously you're, you're building something. It's, I'm sure it's ex incredibly exciting, but is this, is this the long game for you? Like, are you, are you envisioning having this fully developed and set up in the next, like by the end of your lifetime, or are you approaching this from the mentality of we're building infrastructure and I'm laying the groundwork so that a hundred years from now, you know, charging stations are ubiquitous with, um, electric vehicles. 
well, I think it's absolutely the latter. It has nothing to do with me at all. Zero. This is about um, an, an industry shift and a movement, and I'm delighted to be a part of that. But we are going to be a tiny company in the scheme of things. We're going to be a tiny company in charging. There already are um, five or six publicly traded companies that are worth billions of dollars that are out there in the industry. Um, this is going to be like gas stations. You know, there, there's probably, I don't know, 20, 30 brands of gas stations out there that have built, built pretty big businesses. So we're just one of many. One of the things that we do want to do, however, is we want to set a bar that's pretty high that's the competitive bar. And we want everyone else to have to play at that level because yeah. that's what it's going to take. We have a chance to reinvent gas stations now. So as a, as a global society, let's actually use that opportunity and let's reinvent gas stations. Let's yeah. reinvent them. Here's something that your listeners may not understand if they aren't EV owners um, that I think is important too. And that is that when you buy an EV, it's an absolutely wonderful experience that most of the time you never go to a gas station at all. If you're not on a road trip, you probably will not go to a charging station. If, you're, if your life is around local travel only, you will probably never use a gas station again or a charging station because you don't need to. So mm. here's what happens. If you don't forget, if you have a garage, if you have charging in your garage, it's probably what's called level two charging. And this is where we start getting into the weeds because there's level one. We'll forget about that. That's just like a normal 110 plug. Level two charging is like charging that is connected to something like your dryer plug or your electric range in your house. You have 220 volt circuits. That's what level two is. The two means 220 or 240. Okay. So that's what level two is. So if you plug into your level two charger in your garage, in the morning you wake up, your car's got 300 miles of range. You go and do whatever you're doing around town. You come home, you plug it in again. So you always have a full battery when you wake up in the morning, or you might skip it two or three days or even four or five days. And you end up, you still have plenty of juice to get around. You'll never end up going to a gas station or charging station. It's only when you're taking a trip. So we don't need 115,000 charging stations. We only need enough of them in the strategic locations along the interstates and at popular destinations. So imagine as an EV owner, you've saved all this time not going to gas stations ever again because you don't really need to. But now you're going to take Aunt Mabel to the airport and um, it's a regional airport and it's two right. and a half hours away. You go right. drop Mabel off and now you're going to turn around and come back. You want a quick charge, right? So you can right. turn around and come back. You need it there. So a regional airport's a place you need it. Maybe a ballpark's a place you need it. Maybe Disneyland's a place you need it. So there are certain places you need it. You need it on the interstates. Mm -hmm. And aside from that, you don't need 115,000 of them because all of the stuff that's around town, you don't need it anymore. Yeah. So this is when I started kind of the top of our conversation. I mentioned that, you know, the existing companies have, have experimented with a bunch of stuff over the last X number of years. They're putting them in the wrong places where they're not useful. They're putting obsolete technology there. They're putting chargers that are too slow because that's the other problem. You know, yeah. mainstream users are not going to want to wait 30 or 40 minutes to charge right. a car. That's just not, they're not going to be happy with it. Yeah. It makes me think of, um, you know, when you charge your phone and then whenever Apple or whoever came out with like, maybe it was Android uh, or Samsung, the, um, the lightning cable or what have you, you know, yep. you plug it in and now the phone's charged in an hour. And I mean, for me, it would be, I plugged it in at night and, and by morning, hopefully it was fully charged. But then whenever I got that lightning cable, it was like, oh my gosh, I charged this for 20 minutes and it's almost got a full, it's almost, uh, 
filled up. But I've heard that in, in reference to EV in, in terms of elect, electric vehicles, of uh, it being like, yeah, you got to go find a, a charging station and then you got to sit there for 45 minutes to an hour, um, which I know I personally don't have time for. So you make a, you're, you're making a great point on, on a need there for sure. Right. Well, and so other things, I mean, you can get into nuance here. And this is one of the other things. If you, if you look at social media of any kind, doesn't matter which one, and look up EV charging experience, especially for non-Tesla owners, you will find that it's a pretty horrendous hmm. uh, world out there. Things don't work. They're down. You can't, you know, there's finger pointing between the credit card company and the charging company. And, you know, everybody's blaming everybody. But bottom line is you're not getting charged. Um, there are other things that happen too. And that is that when you take 10 charging posts and you put them together, they're connected to a single grid connection. That grid connection most likely can't support all 10 posts going. In most places, it can't. So what will happen is when you have 10 people plugged in with EVs, everybody's going to get slower charging, which means longer charging times. So what might have taken you half an hour or 40 minutes that you weren't real happy with to start with, now when you have a few other cars show up and plug in, everybody's going to be there for an hour and 20 minutes. And this is this is the reality because, you know, when you think about um, – 70% of fossil fuels are used for transportation. And over the next, call it 10 years, we're, we're saying that we want to take all that fossil fuel off the freeway system. Okay, great. So if you convert that 70% of fossil fuel into electricity and say that now needs to be delivered over to the grid, which by the way, our grid in the last 20 years has been less and less reliable year after year. So we all know it's the grid itself is, has been under a lot of stress and is you know causing wildfires in the West and on and on, the grid can't support two to three times the amount of energy that it's delivering today. And that's mm -hmm. what we're asking it to do. Not only that, but the electric car battery that you will buy when you buy an EV is bigger than any device you've ever owned. And that's true of all humans. Nobody has ever had a hundred kilowatt hour anything. So you're now going to plug that in and say, not only am I going to charge this biggest battery thing Biggest, biggest appliance, biggest device, biggest energy consuming anything I've ever owned. Mm -hmm. But not only that, I want to charge in 10 or 15 minutes too. So, I mean, you know, this is like um, 10 days of use of electricity for your house in that battery <laughs> and you want it in 15 minutes. Yeah. So think about it. If, if, if Joe America is doing that with their car, what is that going to do to the grid? Well, the right. short answer is not. The grid can't handle that. So everybody's going to wait. And this is the this is the real problem that we see that we're solving for. No, it's it's incredibly exciting, and I, I appreciate people like yourself who are sort of trailblazing uh, up against these very real issues. And and more importantly, I think of like you know you referenced this earlier. Um, what state are you in, by the way? Uh, Washington. Washington. Okay. So I don't, I don't know Washington well, but like in the Texas area, for example, there is a gas station called Bucky's and yep. anyone in anyone who lives in Texas, um, which this is just natural to Texas, um, very proud of like Texas brands, obviously, but you'll be in a totally another state and Bucky's will get brought up and someone will, be, someone will say, Oh, that's the best gas station in the world. Same thing's true right. for like the Midwest with, um, Quick Trip. Quick Trip's another example. So the point that I'm getting at is, you know, like you mentioned, you have 20 or 30 different gas station brands, and yet very few of them, the experience is 
Um, you can tell that someone's taken a business mentality to the customer experience. What's it like? You know, do I go to the bathroom and it's clean and tidy, or do I get a key, you know, with a little tire around it and you know, <laughs> I got to go out the side or what have you? So right. I, I I do really appreciate how you're approaching this idea of of the charging station and really really. Um, thinking about that customer experience. And uh, man, I can't... John, I have to imagine your days must be very busy. I mean, this is a large elephant to eat when you think about just the the load on uh, our grid. I mean, I don't envy you for sure. (laughs) Well, you know what? It's a lot of fun, actually, um, because people understand it. People understand it. People know what needs to happen. People are excited about EVs. People that drive EVs um, really like the experience aside from the charging aspect. People really like it. I mean, it's quiet, it's clean, it feels good. So people like that. Um, I want to, I want to plug something here if, if I can. And that yeah. is, you mentioned Bucky's. Um, I just moved my daughter from California to Austin. So, um, I'm, I'm now become familiar with that. And by the way, that's a brand for all those Bucky's executives out there listening to your show. Uh, get a hold of us because yes. we want to partner with you to put Kilo's uh, charging systems there. You know, Bucky's is exactly the kind of experience that we want for yeah. Kilo's. We we want that sort of you know, hey, I'm going to go there because I know it's a, it's going to work, right? And b, it's going to be fast, and there's going to be, you know, I'm going to feel safe. I mean, that's the other thing, right? You know, uh, people don't necessarily feel safe at two in the morning at somewhere where you're going to be 30 or 40 minutes. I mean, you're, well, I mean, you kind of, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think about my wife, we just, we just had our second kid, but you know, when she was eight or nine months pregnant and we're traveling, we need to pull over so she can go to the bathroom. You know, you pull off the exit and there's two gas stations and one, you know, you look at them both and it's like, okay, I definitely don't want to go to that one. <laughs> you know, I think, I think that it's just interesting to me how, you know, people have really, um, smart people like Bucky's executives have really thought through the customer process, the customer experience. Uh, and it's not unlike, you know, when you think about fast food, for example, Chick-fil-A is a different experience than going to uh, McDonald's. It's just different. It's just a different experience. And so right, right. I think I think you've really landed on something powerful here of seeing what's out there, these charging stations that sounds like, and I'm, I'm not an EV user, it sounds like they popped up out of need, but haven't had that intentional um, process of, you know, how do we craft something of value of high premium uh, experience? And more importantly, gets people back on the road in a fast and efficient way. So I, I definitely see the value of what you guys are doing. Appreciate that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that like Tesla has done in the auto industry, I'm hopeful that we are going to help to create a bar that is a high bar mm-hmm. so that we can jointly as a society redefine what the next round of gas stations looks like as they become EV charging stations. Well, it's definitely exciting. And I I can't, I mean, I just imagine you as a serial entrepreneur. I'm really curious, like what's been your process for like we're seeing EV, the EV, the EV industry grow in its adoption. But let's go back to like 10 years ago, where because like I own a hybrid and you don't even uh-huh. hear about you don't hear about hybrids really anymore at all, honestly, because it's either you're an EV vehicle or you're, you know, whatever. Um or at least I don't hear much about hybrids anymore. But I remember when I bought my hybrid in uh, 2009, maybe 2010, 
And there was all this like, um, oh, well, it's a hybrid. And actually to this day, I still have like mechanics who were like, well, you know, hybrids, they're just, <laughs> you know, there's just, there's a lot of um, maybe negative energy isn't the right word. But my question to you is you're in this field that is changing by the day. What's it like as a serial entrepreneur, I guess, pushing through negative perceptions, resistance, or more importantly, how do you invite people to explore these, this, this new frontier rather than being like, like, Oh, you know, that'll never happen. Oh, I'll just stick to my gas guzzler, old reliable. You know, I mean, cause I imagine well, this, you, you have these conversations. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's no question about it. Um, you know, I think it's interesting. I mean, there's kind of a long-winded answer to your question. So bear with me for a minute here. So it was a long-winded question. So that's, <laughs> that's okay. I, I, I wanna I wanna bring up something that I heard Musk say. And that was that in 2012, when the Model S came out, um, Musk basically opened his IP, Tesla's IP to the industry and said, Hey, industry, here's what we're building, here's our IP, our patents, and so forth. Come and use it invited the industry 10 years ago to use their IP. In 2021, at a Battery Day event, um, someone asked a question of Musk and asked the question, are you worried about all these big automakers jumping in? And he said, no, not worried about that at all. We all need to work on this together. This is a global problem. I'm doing everything I can to accelerate this, and I'm hoping that they're going to. But then he said, the fact is that since 2012, when we came out with the Model S, the industry still has not produced a car that competes with the 2012 right. Model S. And they've gone on, obviously, created all kinds of new stuff and made much, much, lots of improvements along the way. But now the auto industry globally has realized we better jump into this and we better do it fast. And so they are actually actively working to curtail anything that is internal combustion oriented. And some of the players that are big in hybrid space, for example, have a big investment in hybrid because they've done a lot of them. And they have even thrown in and said, okay, we're going battery electric. Some of those that were in the hydrogen space have said, and some of those are the same as the hybrid guys too, have said, hey, you know what? We're going to invest tens of billions of dollars going battery electric because now there's a tipping point. And I see another tipping point happening. When you look at all of the prognostications of the automakers, GM saying, hey, in 2035, we're all electric, and Ford saying, oh, 2030, 2035, we're all electric, and pretty soon everybody's on the bandwagon saying that, 2030 seems like it's way out there. It's only eight years away, but it still is way out there, right? But what's actually happening on the ground is it's accelerating, and it's accelerating because you have entrants that are coming into this market. A hundred years ago, when we had gas cars, we had, when the gas cars were just getting started, we had, I don't know, 85 brands of, of American automakers back then, and they all consolidated down to the big three or four. Same kind of thing will happen here. But now the barrier to entry is much lower because it's a battery and a motor and everything else is, I mean, you know, electric cars have 20 moving parts. Gas cars have 2000 moving parts. It's much easier to build an electric car. And so there's lots of entrants that are jumping in. So the automakers are now getting squished by Tesla on one side and Rivian and Lucid and the other guys that are all EV that have come in and become successful brands or becoming successful brands and by small startups. And so now the guys in the middle, the legacy um, automakers 
are getting squished and, and they're having to figure out, okay, what are we going to do? So they're all in on battery electric now. Because of all of that, um, it's becoming societally something that we're all much more aware of. And each time another person buys an EV and starts using it and they see what that experience is like, they're going to tell everybody. And I know because my brother's been an EV user for a long time and I watched what's happened with him. You know, it's, it's just one of those things where it is different enough that you start telling people that this is a good experience. And pretty soon I am forecasting that pretty soon we're going to get to a point where there's going to be a societal tipping point where people are going to start saying, wait a minute, EV is the only way to go. Mm-hmm. It's not to say you're going to toss your ICE vehicle, but what it is saying is the next time you buy one, it's a very good chance it'll be an EV. I mean, I'm for sure thinking about it for myself. Um, you know, you as an entrepreneur, like separate from your business, what you're doing right now, what's going on with like, cause I, I think about this, you know, you have a company like Tesla that is doing so well. Um, Elon Musk, obviously, um, who's financially has done well for himself. I don't know if he still is, if he's either number two or number one, but richest person in the world, basically. Um, as an entrepreneur, is it like, is it strange to you seeing these, these businesses that should know their industry the best because they've been in it the longest and yet they aren't innovating. They aren't disrupting their own industry. Like, cause I'm thinking like Tesla comes along and they, they develop this car that now it, it has so much momentum about it. We're seeing, like you mentioned, these other companies come into the space. I guess I'm just surprised that like Ford didn't do this first or that, you know, um, no. yeah, it's, it's just odd to me. It's odd to me that these businesses that that have dozens, hundreds, whatever years in an industry that they're not the ones innovating. It's actually someone outside the industry. What's your take on that as someone who is a serial entrepreneur? Um, well, I think there's a couple interesting things. First of all, around 1900, there were three dominant types of vehicles. There were steam, there were electric, and there were gas. Gas was the minority of the three. Steam was the leader. There were um, something like... Uh, I don't know, a third of cars were electric in 1900. And um, what won out was um, production of gas. So Rockefeller came in, figured out a way of of distributing gas. That's what led to that. Now, in terms of your question about disruption, um, the bottom line is that most often big companies are not disrupted by themselves because they have the most to lose by being disrupted. So what they try to do is they try to hold on to the golden goose as long as they can. They try to keep things as as you know as much status quo as they can. If they know there's something on the horizon that that might disrupt them, they try to figure out how to kill it, how to delay it, how to block it, how to put noise in the market to prevent it from coming in. Great example of that. We all remember film cameras that had film and there was a company called Kodak that was the world's largest company in that space. Kodak actually owned all of the digital intellectual property around digital cameras. And they had their best, Kodak had its best uh, financial showing in terms of quarterly reports uh, the quarter before it became disrupted. And within a year, it was bankrupt. So, you know, Kodak could have said, well, wait a minute, this digital thing's really going to happen. We own all the IP. Why don't we go own the digital world? They could have done that. Right. Why didn't they? Right. So that was kind of the point I was making with Musk. You know, it, it, Musk was, was, was making the same question when asked, well, aren't you worried about this? And even today, 
when you listen to General Motors, when Mary Barra speaks, or when you listen to you know Ford execs talk about how they are the dominant players in the auto industry, and they go on to say in the EV industry, yet you know Tesla has delivered a million vehicles last year. This is an interesting stat. I don't know if you've heard this or not, but last year EVs overtook ICE in the state of California in terms of sales. And not only that, but in California, the most popular car sold in California was a Model 3 Tesla. Did you know that? No. Uh-uh. It's kind of weird, huh? Yeah. <laughs> um, but so, so it's kind of interesting, you know, that, that the disruption doesn't happen from within. It happens from without. And that's the reason why all these companies pop up. Look at what Netflix did to the studios. You know, same thing. Why didn't the studios just do that? They could have done that. They yeah. are now. They've copied, right. you know, so everybody's got a streaming service. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which for me, I'm like, oh my gosh, another service popping up right. to buy. Yeah. No, you make you make a great observation and, and help fact check me here because I'm pulling back to a, a data point that I'm remembering. And I don't know if I'm remembering it accurately. Wasn't it the case when Tesla started building momentum? Weren't there dealerships? or major car um, retailers that were trying... Because I, I remember Tesla had the opportunity that you could sell directly to the consumer. And I feel like I remember like lawsuits or something to that effect of dealerships trying to block Tesla from selling directly to the consumers. Yeah, great question. And you do remember that correctly. So in different states, there are different levels of dealers historically have been, uh, first of all, they're franchise owned. They're not part of the auto manufacturer. So a Ford dealer is a private individual that has one or more locations. They're typically franchisees of Ford to sell the Ford brand product. And historically, those have been extremely wealthy people in every community across the country. So they have collectively, dealers have a lot of pull because there's a lot of wealth in the dealer networks across the country. And they have been um, really concerned about this disruptive business model that Musk has brought to the fore in the auto business. The auto dealers are probably pretty nervous today, too, because there's a joke uh, for EV owners that there are six things you've got to maintain, and that is four tires and two wiper blades. And, you know, it's kind of a joke, but it's kind of true, too. I mean, really not much goes wrong with these things. They are, they're pretty darn reliable, and they're going to be. Because they're so simple. There's 20 moving parts, not 2,000. So, you know, they're much more reliable. Dealers make their money off of service. So the dealers have a double whammy. First of all, they don't really want EVs to take over because it's going to kill their service business. And secondly, if you sell direct to the consumer, it cuts them out of the sale. So dealers, auto dealers are, are right now kind of scrambling, thinking, what are we going to do? We got a business that's a really valuable business here. What are we going to do? Is that part of the disruption that's going to occur when we go from ICE to EV? And my answer is, yeah, it is. So uh, they've tried very hard in the States to block companies like Tesla from selling. And what Tesla has been very adept at doing is saying, fine, we won't sell in your state. They sell online. It's not in your state. It's online. So you can order online. You may not be able to even pick it up in your state. And I think Texas actually was one of those states. I don't know if it still is, but I think... You know, and that's an ironic irony in itself because the Gigafactory just opened in Austin. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I think Texas was actually one of the one of the states that was most vehemently opposed to yeah. selling cars in the state of Texas. 
So all Musk did with that was just, okay, well, order it online and, you know, go to an adjacent state to pick it up. I guess and people for, did it. <laughs> for me, it's hard not to feel, and maybe I'm being overly cynical. I'm not really quite sure, but you know, you think about, and maybe this is just the bias of my generation. I mean, I think about the benefits of electric vehicles. I think about, you know, in another life, I was a high school science teacher, and we taught about climate change and fossil fuels and the um, lack of sustainability. Like, where does this where does this go fifty years down the road? So for me, like my city, for example, we're going to be fully. Um, um, green in the next, uh, I think we said 2027. So that's in five years. That's exciting for me. It's exciting for the future that we're building. And so naturally I'm drawn to the EV conversation because I'm thinking, okay, yeah, I see, I see where this is going. And then personally, as a buyer, uh, as someone who spends money, uh, I think about how, you know, gas is $4 and I only have to spend half of what the average SUV driver has to spend because I'm driving a hybrid. Mm -hmm. So for me, it, it, it all makes sense on paper for me. And I guess and this is less of a question and more of just a statement. It's a hard for me. It's hard for me not to look at those headlines of, you know, blocking Tesla sales and just not be like, Really, like this is there's definitely a humanitarian side to this. There's a a global benefit to this. It's a bit odd to me that we're so stringent on it. Um, and again, not really a question there, other than just it's just interesting how um, resistant we are, I guess, to change. So yeah, well, and one thing I've seen, and this is a statement, not a question too, but it's 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 something that I've seen that that kind of boggles my mind, and that is when you look at the Biden administration talking. They talk about how we have this global leading auto industry and Tesla is never mentioned in those conversations ever, mm, ever. I mean, yeah. what is mentioned is Ford and GM, they're rocking. They're going to come back. They're going to kill it. They're going to be the EV kings. And it's really interesting. I mean, it's it's fascinating to me that, you know what? Hey, we've got the, the, the global auto industry leader. In fact, Tesla stock, you mentioned it, cracked a trillion dollars, right? Yeah. So the stock market in the last week has, has sort of been in the dumps, as we all probably know. Right. And so I'm not sure this is still true, but Tesla stock, you know, is worth more than the global auto industry. Now, just think about that for a minute. I mean, it's crazy. But there's a reason for that. And, you know, there's there's so much beyond just electric cars at Tesla, which is truly phenomenal. I mean, they're an enormous battery maker. Right. Uh, they are a huge artificial intelligence play, mm. meaning that there's a billion miles of driving experience that Teslas around the world have been feeding the mothership. And that mothership now feeds that back to mm -hmm. each Tesla that's on the road. So when we start thinking about autonomous driving vehicles and we start talking about ride hailing like Uber and Lyft, but doing that with Teslas, the world is going to be a very different place. And so there's so much at Tesla that's not just electric cars. Mm -hmm. And the other guys don't have any of that. And so when Biden is up there saying, yep, you know, Ford, GM, and, and in fairness, okay, so Ford is, has just launched the Lightning. The, the electric F-150. Right. And that has been America's most popular model vehicle for a long time. Mm -hmm. That's pretty impressive, you know? And so if Ford is successful at converting that vehicle with the same sales numbers into EV numbers, it's going to give Tesla a run for its money with one vehicle. So mm -hmm. I think that's kind of where Biden's statement might make sense if that yeah. happens. 
Yeah. And, you know, that's a whole nother conversation of where I try not to get, you know, my temptation is to get cynical of like, you know, come on, why, are we, why aren't we giving credit where it's due? But um, right. yeah, right. I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely exciting what Tesla is doing. I've, I've just followed as an entrepreneur, I have just followed Tesla for the last 10 years. My brother-in-law is addicted to all things Tesla. Um, so whenever I make... Out a boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's actually funny. You said it earlier, like when someone drives, when they drive an EV, they tell everyone about it. They, you know, and he sort of obnoxiously, so, you know, talks about it yeah. and mentions it. And, um, you know, there's... I've, there's... I've, I've got a hint for you here's here's one way you can get back at him because okay. this is the one knock on tesla this is changing but this is the one knock on tesla the purchase price of the vehicle is so high that the economics simply don't work that's mm. not a mainstream experience but it's getting there yeah so soon that argument will be gone but if he's been doing it for 10 years he had either an s or an x probably yeah. an s yeah and that means that you can say well show me how the economics worked out on that and he's going to go up, uh, dip, 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 dip. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, he'll probably just point to saving gas, I guess. So, <laughs> I guess, uh, yeah, I guess tell, makes... sh- tell him to show you how that math works. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> well, John, this has been a this has been such a great conversation, man. I'm so excited just to see where Kilos goes and what you do with the business, and uh, it's 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 just it's so valuable having someone on the podcast who's a lifelong entrepreneur and is trying something new, is trying to do something big and amazing. And so I wish you well, uh, for people who are listening, who want to follow your journey and stay involved, what's, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, probably go to kilos, K I L O W S.com and check out our website. Um, you know, obviously you can get a hold of us if you're interested in doing so, um, in any way. And otherwise we'll look forward to seeing you along the interstates in the future. Absolutely. Well, John, I wish you well, and thank you for coming on the podcast today. All right. Thanks for your time. It's been great talking with you. You as well. Hey guys, I'm going to put the link to kilos.com down in the episode description below. I'm also going to put a link to John's LinkedIn profile in case you want to connect with him and just follow some of the exciting stuff that Kilos is doing. And hey, if you enjoyed this episode today, what the heck are you waiting on? Click the subscribe button, click the follow button so you can keep getting the good advice we're bringing to you day in and day out. And more importantly, if you love the podcast, you want to support the podcast, you can check out our Patreon. It's at patreon.com slash good advice. And you can support the podcast for as little as $5 a month. Hey, for those of you who already support the podcast, thank you. And for those of you who've listened to us long-term, I appreciate you checking out our good advice today. That's all we have. We'll catch you later. See ya.